Welcome to America's Commercial Real Estate Show, your source for market intel, forecasts, and success strategies. Hello, I'm Michael Ball. Thank you for being with us. Uh, this segment is brought to you by CommercialAgentSuccess.com. It is cloud access commercial agent training. Check it out at CommercialAgentSuccess.com. Well, today we're talking about multifamily and what a great sector. It has just literally been on fire. Some people though are concerned, how long will this cycle last? Do we have too much new supply? Are we building too much very high-end properties? Are we having affordability issues? There's a lot of questions from a lot of people. Let's get the answers. Please welcome my first guest. It's Jay Parsons. Jay is Deputy Chief Economist with RealPage Analytics and he's joining us on the phone. Jay, thank you for being with us, sir. Thanks for having me, Michael. Well, Jay, performance-wise, when you look overall at the apartment market, you know, it's really been on fire. Is this, just, is this continuing, or are there some markets where you're seeing some slowdown? Overall, it's continuing, and I think you introduced it well. You know, it's, it's been fascinating to see the, the strength of the market in this cycle. Um, you know, I think there's the questions you'd asked about multifamily that have been posed out there in the industry. These are the same questions that get asked year after year after year, and yet we continue to see that the market continues to chug along, uh, thanks primarily to very, very strong demand tailwinds for apartments. So overall, occupancy rates remain very tight at 95.2%. Um, rent growth is back above 3% year over year at 3.3%. And for the most part, you know, these trends are, are pervasive throughout the country. I mean, certainly we continue to see a little bit of difference between your Class A urban product and suburban product overall, as well as generally Class B. Um, but pretty much all across the country, we continue to see really good numbers. And what difference do you see there on urban versus suburban? Well, so there's the, 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 we've now three or four years into seeing better rent growth in the suburban sector than we've seen in the urban. Actually, I should take that back. It's probably about five years now. It's been a consistent trend. And as you know, developers early on in the cycle really focused on building in urban infill, downtown spots, high class A plus type product. And that trend has never really stopped. And so we keep getting pounded by supply in downtown submarkets. Demand has been fantastic, but it's certainly having uh, a pretty big impact on um, on rent appreciation. So uh, it's picked up a little bit as of late as we've seen some concession burn off in a handful of markets. Um, rent growth is, has been uh, still positive, uh, but certainly we continue to see much better growth in, in suburbs where that's really where the buried entry is these days. Yeah. What about B type of product, Jay? Uh, what do you see difference there between the kind of the new Class A stuff? Yeah, B, the Class B apartment story has been truly fantastic. And, um, you know, well, the, everyone's been, you know, there's been so much focus on apartments overall. I think this cycle is has been the story of the coming of age of the Class B, of the Sunbelt markets, and of the suburban uh, segments. And for Class B in particular, what's what's really benefited Class B is that we're building a whole different type of apartment in this cycle, meaning that if you you remember back 10, 20 years ago, when you built a new apartment, if you, you were worried as a Class B apartment operator because you knew that that new property is going to take away your renters with a month or two of concessions and, and the rent's going to be pretty pretty even. Um, 
that doesn't happen anymore. Apartments that are being built are just way more expensive. I mean, the average gap between a Class A property to a Class B property today is nearly 40%. And if you look at the newer construction, it's significantly higher than that. And so what that means is Class B is insulated. You know, you can't, no, very few renters can afford to make that jump from a Class B property into a brand new lease up. And so, uh, nor can most developers afford to build a Class B property. I mean, it just doesn't pencil out. And so what's happening is that you have this um, insulated area where you're not a Class C property that's sensitive to affordability concerns because you're not dealing with kind of your hourly workforce workers who have very uh, limited incomes. And on the other side of it, you're not dealing with the highest end of the market competing with supply. And so the result is very low vacancy and very strong rent growth. And we think that's going to continue. Yeah, that's a great place to be. And Jay, you mentioned uh, new supply levels. And as I as I mentioned on the on the start of the show, uh, there's a lot of cranes and a lot of new construction. And I remember we did a deal, I think, four years ago uh, for a new Midtown Atlanta uh, uh, apartment development. And we were a little concerned then about where we were in the cycle, but it just seems to keep going. Uh, is this cycle just going to keep rolling? Yeah, like, like you said, I mean, that's a question that's been asked since the beginning of the cycle. I remember early on there's some concerns about the big spike in permits that occurred back in 2010, 2011. There's a op-ed in the American Banker news, newspaper at that point raising, raising that red flag. And, you know, one thing I've learned over the years, Michael, is that investors and lenders tend to overestimate the impact of supply in the apartment market, and they underestimate the impact of demand tailwinds. And when you have strong demand tailwinds like we've seen throughout this cycle, you're able to absorb supply. Uh, but I think our past view of supply is really jaded by the fact that we had supply peak in the past when we had recessions hitting. So think about 2001, 2002, big supply peak, demand goes away. Think about 2008, 2009, big supply peak, demand goes away. And so what we're finally seeing is for the first time in decades, when demand is there at the same time, or actually it's really just the underlying economy being strong at the same time supply is coming in, we really haven't seen much of an issue outside of some isolated pockets and primarily downtown submarkets where supply is especially heavy. Yeah, and what do you expect those demand tailwinds to be moving forward? Well, I mean, the good news is, uh, uh, you know, is, is that there's just still a lot of young adults out there who are prime renter age, and you know, you know, I go around the country and go to different events, talk to different people, and 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 one of the things that you hear more and more buzz about is, oh no, millennials are getting older, they're getting married, they're having kids, they're buying houses, and yeah, that's true, they are. Um, but I think what people forget sometimes is that. Just as someone turns 35, someone else turns 25, right? People, there's a whole different, that way just keeps on coming. And the size of the population that's in their early to mid-20s is larger than the population of the oldest millennials that's kind of aging out of the prime apartment renter age. So these are demand tailwinds just on pure demographics alone that will persist for another decade. And then on top of that, um, we continue to see, you know, obviously the, the, the overall trends where people are choosing to, uh, you know, the so-called prolonged adolescence, people are choosing to uh, get married later, have kids later, uh, choosing to rent longer. Um, all of these kind of lifestyle shifts uh, certainly favor uh, the multifamily industry as well. Yeah. And you mentioned that lenders may have been concerned about new supply levels back in 2010. And, 
and uh, I guess developers that, that built there have, have done really well. What about new supply levels now? Uh, do you see that leveling off any? Yeah, it's funny. Everybody keeps asking us, hey, when does supply peak? And I think what everybody's picturing is a mountaintop where you kind of finally climb to that top and you can look down and you can see, hey, you know, it's only downhill from here. And I think what we're finding in this cycle is it's not a mountaintop. It's really a plateau. And, you know, we've climbed to the top, and I think we are at the top. But rather than going back down or going further up, we are pretty much just holding steady around the 300,000 unit mark annually across the country in terms of, you know, our market rate product being completed. And that is going to continue for at least another couple of years. Now, we will see some markets where supply is going to pick up more, um, in particular, some of the West Coast markets, California especially, and uh, Bay Area, especially the East Bay, if I'm really zoning in, uh, big increase in supply in some of those markets. On the flip side, we have a lot of markets where supply is going to be really decelerating, and uh, that's generally going to be uh, more in the south and the Midwest, where we have some pretty big uh, drop-offs in supply, headlined by a place like Nashville, which has seen a ton of supply, but it's going to see a pretty big drop-off here in the next 12 months. Okay, and we're talking with Jay Parsons with RealPage Analytics about the multifamily market. And Jay, what do you see for cap rate trends in the multifamily sector right now? Well, overall cap rates remain in the mid fives on average, but you know, as usual, what you're really seeing is a lot of you know noise within that overall average. And what's been really interesting, Michael, is you know over the last few years, you and I have talked a lot about the urban suburban trends and how the fundamentals throughout this cycle have really favored the suburbs, given that you're really more restricted on supply. There's been much stronger than most people realize demand going into those areas, especially the suburbs. Um, you know, that are high-quality areas with jobs and higher incomes, high home prices, good access to retail and all that kind of thing. Um, but we haven't seen investors really kind of waking up to that reality, and they continue to kind of persist the historical bias toward uh, downtown submarkets. And what's really shifted, I think, in the last, call it six months or so, is we're finally seeing uh, a little bit of, I would say, stagnancy in pricing for that top-tier urban product, and we're starting to see that gap shrink where your top-quality suburban product is starting to become much more attractive as investors realize that if anything's undervalued right now, it's probably that type of product. Yeah, interesting. Well, Jay, what do you expect moving forward into 19 and, if you can, into 24 performance and cap rates and just the multifamily sector overall? Well, obviously, the big question hanging over everybody right now is when is the recession hit? And um, I think a lot of the questions around our industry have really shifted from, you know, you know, no longer is it just about our little bubble and worrying about oversupply or affordability. You know, now everyone's worried about the bigger picture of the economy. And, you know, that's always been true to some extent throughout this entire cycle. But um, there's certainly more economists calling for a recession to hit here in the next couple of years. Um, you know, our view is that uh, we will see some type of economic slowdown uh, at some point over the next two years. Um, we think it'd be fairly mild and maybe or maybe not a true recession. Uh, but we do think the apartment industry is, is pretty protected uh, by, by function of, of um of the, of the fact that we have very low vacancy rates right now. Most of the new supply is concentrated in, again, kind of limited areas, even though it's a lot. And, um, and the fact that ultimately, um, you know, people don't, you know, the, the flexibility of renting remains favorable even through a, a recession. So 
Our view is that um, in the next couple of years, we see rent growth slow down around 2%. Occupancy drops off about you know, 70, 100 basis points. But overall, should be fairly and should be a pretty good shape throughout any kind of mild slowdown. And after that, we should be well positioned for, for pretty good growth again, because that kind of a slowdown would naturally thaw out the construction pipeline. And as the market heats back up, um, we should be positioned for some pretty good growth. Great. Well, that makes me smile, Jay. I, I like hearing that. And uh, good information as usual. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Michael. All right, and thank you for joining us. And stay with us. Next, I'm going to have a owner of a lot of apartment complexes and get his view from his desk of what he's seeing on the property level performance. And uh, stay with us. I'm Michael Bull. This is America's Commercial Real Estate Show. Are you looking to buy, sell, or lease commercial real estate? You're invited to contact Bull Realty for customized asset and occupancy solutions. Call 404-876-1640 or visit bullrealty.com. Welcome back to America's Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Bull. This segment is brought to you by Red IQ. Check it out. They turn multifamily data into actionable intelligence. Check them out at RedIQ.com. And speaking of multifamily, that is our topic today. And as we were just talking to Jay in the segment before, one of the opportunities out there today is in V properties and C properties. And if you think about workforce housing, you know, they're not building any new <laughs> workforce housing. It's too expensive. Uh, so, as you know, on the show, we like to talk to the analysts and economists. We also like to talk to the people in the trenches, the people actually owning the properties and see what it looks like from their desk. Please welcome my next guest, Steve Firestone. And Steve is managing partner with Crown Bay Group, and he's joining us in Studio One. Steve, thanks for being here today. Thank you, Michael, for inviting me. Well, Steve, you guys uh, own and, and manage a lot of these kind of workforce type housing properties. And uh, what size and number of units uh, are you typically uh, handling? Uh, we typically try to go for, you know, between two and 400 unit mm -hmm. properties. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it might be 150 to 200 if it's, you know, if there's, if there's a good deal there. Mm -hmm. um, and they are mostly workforce housing. Or we try to stick to the more of C, C plus type housing, mm -hmm. maybe B minus. Um, and have you seen good rent growth in that area? Yeah, I mean... Uh, we've seen great rent growth, uh, as as a lot of uh, cities have over the, the last few years, very mm -hmm. steady. You know, it might have slowed down a little bit from the last few years, but it's still, you know, I would say above average to potentially to other, other asset classes. Um, doesn't really seem to be any um, any slowdown on that side, uh, you know, to, to a great extent. What's it like to manage those types of properties? A little tougher than the A, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, C properties is definitely a, a, you know, you need to get used to it and have some experience behind you. Um, like I, I always say in one way, you know, managing C properties, it's not rocket science, but, um, but you definitely need to know what you're doing. Um, and it, it, it's really simple though. I mean, to me, um, you know, if you've got a, a C, a, C class property with workforce housing, what you know, which could be anybody from working from, you know, shopping malls to the airport to uh, you know local uh, industrial factories distribution. Mm -hmm. um, they only want one thing, or you know, they only want a place to live that they know is safe. Uh, they get good service. 
you know, and is clean, and they and, and the management treats them right. Yeah. And that's it. And if you can do those three things, you know, those few things, then there's no reason for them to move across the street or down the road or whatever. Yeah, take care um, of your client, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. What type of tenant traffic are you seeing today? You've you've been in this several years. Is your tenant traffic kind of steady, or is it trailing off, or increasing with the job uh, market where we are? I think it's uh, it's been pretty steady. Um, I guess it depends, you know, what you know, what market you're in specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, yeah. we try to target high growth markets, mm-hmm. um, and and also the specific property. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we always when we're doing our due diligence, if we're you know, just because something's a good deal doesn't mean you should buy it. I mean, there's, you know, there's always a reason, potentially. Um, but, you know, if there's, um, you know, we try to feed off other people's due diligence, like on the retail side. Mm-hmm. Of course, if we're buying near a, you know, anything that's recently been built, whether it's a, mm-hmm. you know, Walmart or especially, you know, things near Walmart superstores we like, mm-hmm. or we, where we see new, uh, you know, new fast food places or new other kinds of retail going up, um, you know, they, we know they've done their homework, and they're not spending money to build those things for nothing. Yeah. Um, and that only, you know, enhances the, you know, the the attraction to a tenant to your property. So um, those are those are the kind of things that we look for. And of course, new businesses that, um, mm-hmm. you know, are going to eventually open. So if you're getting the, you know, like we have a property in uh, South Carolina, mm-hmm. and we knew that they were building a, the biggest factory ever built in Columbia, South Carolina, since 1980s. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, five minutes behind our property. And there's only one road that goes there, and it's the road behind our property. Oh, nice. And they're hiring 400 people. Well, you don't get 400 people locally, and they don't hire them overnight. So they just, you know, we knew we'd have to wait a year. We rehab the property. And now we're working with their HR as they slowly, you know, um, bring in people from other states, other cities to fill those positions in the in the factory. Right. That's great. And maybe that this that particular property sounds like it's not an issue, but when you overall look at your properties as you um, buy these properties and you fix them up and, and you start raising rents, are you having issues with affordability, some of the, the tenants actually being able to afford to pay the rents? Um, I mean, of course, you know, we're buying them to add value and, we, we you know, everybody wants to raise rents if you can, but, mm-hmm. you know, we try to keep it in line with the affordability in the area. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, um, vacant units or skips and evictions are, are you know, uh, an owner's worst enemy. Mm-hmm. Um, it just costs money to turn a unit twice in a year, so nobody wants to do that. So, you know, we don't want to make people pay something that we think that they can't pay. So we do try to, you know, take that into consideration. And, uh, you know, if anything, you know, we'll do it a little at a time. So as, the, as they say, you know, if your property's full, your rents are too low. So, um, you know, we, we try to keep an open mind on that. And also, it, it really depends on, um, you know, obviously their, their credit, their uh, worthiness, their job, mm-hmm. their, their income. Mm-hmm. So we do take that into consideration. And, um, you know, a lot of times we get like kids, and I say kids, or younger people who is their first time out of their own home. Mm-hmm. And uh, they don't know how to manage their money. Mm-hmm. So although they might be, you know, go through our vetting process, you know, unfortunately, those are the types that really sort of almost fall through the cracks in that way that because th- we can't manage their money for them. And if, yeah. if they're still young and they're going to go out and spend it on other things and they're going to be short at the end of the month, that's not really our problem, but it becomes our problem. It becomes your problem, that's right. So um, on that end of it, it's affordability. But I think the people that are a little bit older and that have steady jobs, you know, they know, they've learned 
how to manage their money by that point, and yeah. they don't want to have to move again because that costs them money too. Yeah. Well, I, I, when I was a young man, I started uh, in this business. I started managing apartments, and I started selling them when I was 19 and still in school. And, uh, and when I had a, a management company, and we managed a lot of B and C properties as well. And one of the thing, big things that I saw was helpful is just really stay on top of, of collections. And I was kind of a no-story guy. You know, if you don't pay by the 10th, we're filing a dispossessory. Sorry, uh, but we, we have to do it. Yeah. What, are, what are some other tips related to managing those types of properties? You, you mentioned that it's obviously it's more difficult than an A. And that's where a lot of the upside is in these types of properties, if you can really manage yeah. them well. Uh, absolutely. I mean, there is great upside there. A lot of the times <clears throat> when we take over properties, you know, we say that... Um, uh, we buy this, you know, value-add properties, as they call them. But that doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, we're going to go in there and do massive work and, and all that. It, 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 you know, runs the whole gamut from just it's just not being aggressively managed, right. and there's nothing wrong with it, to doing, you know, full renovations. Um, and some of the ones that we do take over are, you know, just not non-aggressive management, yeah. where you know where, you know, the owner has maybe too much input. Um, and gets too personal about things mm -hmm. and starts bending the rules a bit, which you really can't do and shouldn't do even by, you know, housing rules and, mm -hmm. and, and things like that. But, um, you know, having having management that's, um, uh, you know, uh, totally impartial is very important. Yeah. Um, you have to have rules. Mm -hmm. and, and one of the big things, just, just to digress a little bit, but it's a similar uh, thought, is that... Um, uh, you need to train your tenants. You know, I'm sure a lot of people have heard that, mm -hmm. and, and it is true. And that's not, you know, it's not to, uh, to sound derogatory in any way. They need to know the rules of your apartment complex. Right. And um, once they come in, if you stick to the rules, you have rules, um, then they they do stick to it because they know you mean business. So you can't just, you know, do one thing for one person, something for another. So, right. um, you know, we file on everybody, you know, whatever, you know, the day. I think it's only five days after after the month, but that's not to say they're getting evicted. Yeah. But we file because they know they're late. Yeah. That's the rules when you signed up. Yeah. And uh, you know, yes, there's a late fee, mm -hmm. um, and we have a lot of tenants that do pay late. And and it sounds bad, but it is actually a regular income for right. all properties of that you know uh, of the, that yeah. class. Yeah. And um, so we don't want to say necessarily, you know, if everybody paid on the first, we'd be missing some other income that we would usually have. But at yeah. the same time, um, you know, it would be nice if they at least paid, you know, we, we do get the bulk of it um, early on yeah. uh, by the 10th usually, um, only because we stick to the rules. Yeah, when, um, when we had the management company and managed a lot of those properties, our Januaries were pretty strong months, a lot of late charges. Steve, how do you look yeah. at the current market there in that in that class of type of property? I guess you're mostly in the southeast in these kind of C kind of apartments. Do you think it's a, a, a time to, to sell these kinds of properties in those markets, or is it time to buy? Is it a buyer-seller's market here? <laughs> well, I guess, you know, the... the uh, rents and increases in rents, and of course, sales prices are. are they, although they do meet and help help sell the property, they're also two separate issues. Mm -hmm. So I think at, in the market at the moment, probably in most larger uh, MSAs, is a good time to sell. Yeah. Uh, but then, of course, you've got the dilemma of replacing them. Right. And uh, you know, we sold four properties last year, thinking you know this is the peak of the market, and we probably would have got a lot more even now. <laughs> but they were great prices. We yeah. made great returns. Yeah. 
and we just move on and hope that we can can replace them. And luckily, we have a good pipeline and a good network. And so time <clears> time <throat> to sell, but also you're still buying as well. Yeah, right? and we're still yeah. selling at yeah. the moment yeah. and still buying. Right. So um, that's just something that uh, hopefully. You know, if you're going to do both, you have to have a good developed pipeline, like I said, and good relationships to find products. But um, nobody knows where the top of the market is. It's like anything, you know, yeah. in the stock market, too. Yeah. If you're going to wait for the top, you might wind up in trouble. Yeah, I like we that, too. We like don't look tip. for the yeah. top of the market. Yeah. You know, if, it's, if, if it meets our goal and our, our projections that we set out for our investors in the first place, mm -hmm. and if I'm in year three, um, you know, I try to be really strict about that, and I think that's a really important thing, too. If I'm on year, even if it was helped by the market, if I'm on year five's projections in year three, it's sell. That's what the numbers tell me. That's what I did. Watch the numbers. Yeah. All right, Steve, great information. Thanks for joining us. No problem. Thank you for having me. All right, stay tuned. Next, we'll have a broker who's day-to-day selling apartments. We'll get his take on the market and some tips and strategies. Stay with us. I'm Michael Bull. This is America's Commercial Real Estate Show. Would you like to be the top producing commercial broker in your office? Check out Michael Bull's video training. Since you're a show listener, you receive 10% off your first purchase. At checkout, use discount code CREshow. Visit commercialagentsuccess.com. Welcome back to America's Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Ball. This segment is brought to you by BiProxy.com. Check them out. It's B-I-P-R-O-X-I. It's a new listing service for commercial real estate. You can list properties there, and you can also search. Well, today we're talking about multifamily, and I have a treat for you. How would you like to have no security deposits in your apartment communities? What do you think that would do for you? If you could do that safely, might you have more tenants might you have tenants paying faster? Might you improve the leasing and occupancy and potentially even the rental rates at your community? Well, please welcome my next guest. It's Riken Cool. He's CEO and co-founder of LeaseLock, and he's here in Studio One. Riken, thanks for being with us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Well, I, I saw what you, you guys are doing, and I just couldn't believe it. I love it. Uh, uh, you know, I grew up in the multifamily world, managing apartments and selling apartments when I started in the business. And when I saw what you guys do, I just I had to have you on. And uh, so tell us a little bit, uh, and, and for my audience, what is Lease Lock and what does it do? Yeah, so uh, as a flyover, Lease Lock completely eliminates security deposits in that sounds uh, dangerous in multifamily <laughs> yeah it would be uh, unless there weren't lease lock um, yeah we completely eliminate mm -hmm. security deposits and we we replace them with uh, a more responsible pure form of insurance to cover any risk that's associated with the kinds of risks that security deposits traditionally cover okay and you came to market in June of 2016 and you guys are growing fast, and I understand why. Because you know, I think when I managed departments and, and owned a property management company, that security deposit gave me that safety net that I felt. Well, all right, the tenants he's going to pay, and he's not going to damage. But but lease lock seems like really a better way to do this. It is a better way. Um, you know, security deposits have been fine. Uh, I guess it's the way people have been doing business for mm -hmm. about two hundred years, <laughs> uh, and. 
Security deposits are really, though, a poor form of self-insurance when you think about it. Um, they're, they're usually, they, ha they usually have to be pretty low um, because you have to work with what the market rate needs to be. Um, and then also, um, because they're low, they only give you as much protection as what's there. Um, they also present a lot of liability. Um, in most jurisdictions in this country, it is illegal to take certain fees out of security deposits, like for instance, carpet cleaning or touching up paint or nail holes on walls. Um, and so if you get rid of security deposit funds, uh, then you don't have to worry about the, you know, those kinds of legal liabilities in those jurisdictions. Um, so instead, you know, here comes lease lock. Uh, we are, you know, for someone who's uh, maybe charging a $500 security deposit, you're getting 10x the protection because lease lock is, is well, 10x plus, because lease lock is covering $5,000 of lost rent for you uh, and then covering, um, you know, another $500 in damage, and then we'll give you another $100 for turn costs or like normal wear and tear costs, like and what, and carpet cleaning. And what does that cost? So all that costs the property management company zero, which is the, the really great part about this. So we're completely removing uh, the managing of security deposits from multifamily, uh, and then uh, it's costing you nothing. What you do is you pass this cost on to the renter. Uh, we've got the price down now to, uh, as a base price, $19 a month. So uh, this is for every renter at every property is paying uh, $19 a month. So Whether it's in San Francisco, New York, or Atlanta. That's right. No yeah. matter what region it's in, no matter what the rent amount is, uh, it's the same price for the same coverage that, that I just quoted uh, for the property. And on top of that, uh, we offer ancillary income. Uh, to property management companies. So uh, our you know, retail rate might be $19. If the property management company wants to charge an extra 2 or $3 on that lease lock fee, uh, then do the math. Uh, on a 20 or 30 or 40,000 unit portfolio, uh, we're talking about millions in ancillary revenue income per year for you by using the lease lock program. Plus you get rid of uh, security deposits, managing them, and all the, the crap that goes along with them. And you have some pretty big customers already. We do. <laughs> I'm proud to say uh, we, are, we are rolling out um, with uh, five of the top 10 property management companies uh, rated by the National Multifamily Housing Council. Uh, they're all rolling out lease lock, eager to get rid of security deposits. Um, and, uh, and we've got number one uh, as well. Uh, rolling out and in uh, in Graystar, so it's um, it's it's been really exciting to 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 be part of a team that's really kind of fundamentally changing the way real estate transactions are done in multifamily. Yeah, and when you think about the majority of Americans, it's not like we're Americans that we save a lot of cash, and sometimes we, we you're trying to make a security deposit and the first month's rent and the moving expenses is kind of tough. So. I imagine this could really make the, the process more affordable. It does. Um, and affordability is key right now. Mm -hmm. uh, to be successful in multifamily, you have to look at the trends. Uh, the, uh, the Federal Reserve just came out with a report uh, very recently that uh, only 40% of Americans have less than $400 in savings. 
Uh, that's staggering. Mm -hmm. uh, when you look at the millennial market, which is uh, really growing and pushing into multifamily right now, they are a subscription-based generation. Uh, they don't like to... They don't like to save, but in general, but they also don't like to be reaching into their pocket to pay you, you know, five hundred, a thousand, or fifteen hundred dollars to move into an apartment. Mm -hmm. uh, the millennial generation is very attracted to subscription-based services. Uh, they're not buying eleven hundred dollar iPhones. They want to mm -hmm. pay thirty-six ninety-nine on their phone bill every month to pay for that iPhone over two or three years. Um, so this is working right in with that. You're telling a a renter, hey. Uh, to move into this unit, you just pay first month's rent and 19 bucks. Um, a lot better than reaching into your pocket and having to pay, you know, the security deposit that you think you're not going to get back anyway. And yes, the $19 is non-refundable, but when you when you really when you really add it up, um, it still comes out to in a year less than what a security deposit would be. Um, and um, and the renter is just. Uh, it, it, they're just getting an, an easier experience overall. And then when they move out of the unit, they don't have the property coming after them mm -hmm. uh, for nickel and dime fees. Uh, it's just more of a seamless, easy process all the way through. Yeah, I mean, you know, tenants, when they're moving out, you know, from managing apartments myself and selling apartments, you know, you, you see that the tenants have other expenses in this move and to, to cut that down. So the communities that have it, Riken, are they getting more tenant traffic? Are they leasing more apartments? They are. Um, that's the exciting part. This has been a win-win for everyone. Uh, you know, our average portfolio size, say, at around 22,000 units, uh, they are experiencing anywhere from 10 to 20 more leads per week per community. Uh, so so that, that's significant. And then um, you also have to look at lead to closing time for a lease. Uh, you know, we're tracking all of, all of this data, obviously, at LeaseLock. Uh, we have um, we've seen uh, an increase in 14 days between the time that a lead comes into the unit to lease closing. That's an increase overall of 14 days. Uh, what does that equal? It equals one paycheck, mm -hmm. uh, which is interesting. So in other words, a person doesn't have to wait uh, basically to sock away a bunch of money from a whole nother paycheck in order to, to move in. So we're um, definitely increasing uh, traffic, and we're making it faster. All right. Well, what if I'm concerned that with this no security deposit and you guys kind of insuring the risk for me um, that you guys aren't going to approve more tenants that I'm going to have more tenants who are not approved and can't move in? How does that work? Uh, great question. Mm -hmm. This is a question that everyone has, and uh, basically we come in like we when i say we descend upon you and say <laughs> uh here let us let us take over for you and let us fix your security deposit problem mm -hmm. and the first thing we do is say freeze uh show us your buckets uh who are you considering declines who are you considering conditionally approved and who are you considering approved uh those are your three buckets what are the criteria that you have already set for those three buckets um, then we say, we want you to keep doing that. Uh, we are not going to ensure your declines, but we will ensure your conditionals and your approves, all for the same amount of money. So, so the same approval process the community had before. That's right. And we are integrated most likely with your property management system. 
Uh, we are uh, working with the top five uh, property management uh, company uh, systems across the country, uh, including your Yardies and RealPage and um, Appfolio, MRI. So uh, we, you know, we we really take pride in that. That we just we we can use the same criteria you're already using, but even better, we just quickly plug in to the system you're already using. So this is like minimal touch. For you yeah. to transfer from a security deposit world to the lease lock world, it's like just, uh, it's really minimal effort for you because we already know how to plug right in. Yeah, well that seems amazing. I mean, it seems like you'd have a leg up if you're competing communities are charging security deposit and the tenant has to come out an extra 500 or two, 3,000 maybe, depending on the community, right? They come in your community, they don't have to do it. That's right. Um, you know, lease lock is really eliminating all of those hidden fees that are commensurate with leasing today. Uh, you've got your security deposit, which is the biggest one. There are hidden parking fees in every lease. Uh, there are um, you know, pet deposit fees, pet rent, pet rent fees. Uh, so we are really making the whole process so much more affordable um, because what people care most about, let's face it, uh, with their lease is how much is it going to cost you to move in? That yeah. is the, it's not only the most stressful time mm -hmm. of anyone's life, <laughs> it is the time of your life when you're really going to be dishing out the most amount of money and nobody wants to do it. Yeah. And frankly, uh, what we came to realize um, through being in the trenches with property management over the last five to seven years is uh, property management hates security deposits. They mm -hmm. hate collecting them. They hate how it causes delays in lease closings. Uh, they hate managing security deposits. How many jurisdictional laws and rules are out there now saying where you have to put security deposits? Mm. In this trust account, you have to pay interest out to the, the resident You know for... Mm -hmm for the security deposit that's being held. Um, and then you have to give the security deposit back. Most property management operators and uh, are, are get mad at the owners for pulling illegal funds out of security deposits because it's causing, um, it, it's opening up people for liability for some like evil class action lawyer to come in like, and, and mm -hmm. sue the property management company or the owner. Yeah. And, and then if you do take uh, a legitimate amount of money from a tenant security deposit when they leave, they don't like it. So what, what might happen there when, when you do that? Well, what happens is you have a resident who had, they could have had a perfect tenancy. Uh, mm -hmm. They loved being in the unit. They loved all the amenities. Everything was done correctly. Mm -hmm. But you take 50 extra dollars out of their security deposit that they were not expecting, yeah. you're gonna get a really bad Yelp review. Um, and that, that's, nobody likes that. Yeah. Uh, so uh, if you wanna basically eliminate bad Yelp reviews and just let people walk away and go, wow, that was really easy and seamless, yeah. uh, then you wanna go in the lease lock direction. All right, so for 1995, did you said? Uh, just 19. $19, so yeah. you get $5,000 in rent loss coverage, $500 in damage, and then $100 for turnkey? For turn cost coverage, okay. yeah. Okay. So that's, um, that's basically, the, the turn cost uh, amount is an automatic payout. Uh, so it's not claimable. In other words, lost rent and damage are something that the property would claim to lease lock and say, mm -hmm. hey, we, we, uh, we, this person didn't pay their rent uh, and we had to evict them for three months and obviously uh, we're gonna pay out. And by the way, we pay out super fast. We are a 21st century paperless in a company. So uh, we do everything extremely quickly. 
Um, but the turn cost is basically us saying, for every renter you put on a lease lock, we're gonna pay that out to you anyway. You don't have to claim it. So every unit gets that that turn cost or wear and tear coverage. Yeah, out. yeah. that's awesome. Yeah. Now, and you, you touched on uh, pets there. And you know, a lot of Americans have pets and they love them. And pets could cause some damage. How, how do you guys handle pets? Yeah, so uh, that's exciting because mm -hmm. uh, we are uh, we're rolling out pet uh, coverage. So um, for you know an extra, depending on on the the region or or what the deal that we make is with uh, the portfolio, it's going to be about a four to five dollar addition uh, to the monthly lease lock fee, and then it will cover pets. Now this will prevent the uh, the resident from having to put down uh, a pet deposit uh, or a non-refundable pet fee and then pay a non-refundable pet rent uh, throughout uh, the tenancy. So uh, again, just saving a lot of money and just like for the price of a cup of coffee every month, you're getting covered for your pet. This is covering things like the things that pets do. You know, they mess up carpets. Uh, they, they scratch the paint off doors um, when they're waiting for their owner to get home. Uh, they'll mess up a blind uh, trying to look out the window. Uh, those are the types of things that we would cover. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. Uh, yeah. You know, Reich and Ed, this is, this is really needed in our industry. You know, we have affordability issues. We have more apartments. People want to be competitive. I love the product. Uh, thanks for being on the show. All right. Thank you. Thanks for the and, chance to talk about And you know what's a about cool it. product? Because Reichen's last name is pronounced cool, right? <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's what makes All it. All right. Well, stay with us. We'll have more on the multifamily market. Stay with us. I'm Michael Bull, and this is America's Commercial Real Estate Show. Have you seen buyproxy.com? Brokers list properties, buyers and tenants search properties all at no cost. They also have a suite of marketing services. Check them out at buyproxy.com. That's spelled B-I-P-R-O-X-I.com. Are you involved in the multifamily industry? Check out rediq.com. You can easily and effectively turn operating data into actionable intelligence. Request a demo or try it for free at RedIQ.com. Welcome back to America's Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Bull. This segment is brought to you by my company, Bull Realty. For client-focused asset and occupancy solutions, visit bullrealty.com or contact me directly. Well, today we're talking about the multifamily market, and you know, we've had views from analysts, we've had views from owners. Um, now we're getting a view from a broker who's selling apartments every day and has been doing it for quite some time. Please welcome Scott Spaulding. He's president of the apartment group at my firm, Bull Realty. Scott, thanks for being with us. Thank you for having me today, Michael. Well, Scott, well, first thing I want to ask you, and I think a lot of people are curious about, is uh, how are buyers of multifamily and their lenders underwriting projects today? It seems like a lot of people are a little concerned that we're a little long in the tooth in this cycle, and that maybe the fundamentals uh, that have been fantastic, really, for multifamily are starting to slow down a bit. Are you seeing any differences the way people are underwriting? Well, Michael, buyers are still very exuberant mm -hmm. about the market today. Mm -hmm. You know, some buyers are underwriting for lower returns than they have in the past, and they're comfortable with that. You know, and if we're, you know, selling a property for a seller, it's our job to go out and, you know, find those buyers. Uh, you also have some buyers who are a little more careful, if you will, than they have been in the past. As you mentioned, we're long in the cycle. You know, um, 
we have an election that's you know forthcoming mm -hmm. as well as the rent growth is, is starting to slow down mm -hmm. so you have some lenders as well as you know some buyers that are just a little more cautious than they have been in the past but the market is still very very strong yeah well, so would you classify it still as a, a seller's market, not a, not not really a buyer's market? Yeah, it's definitely a seller's market. Yeah. You know, because there's very very limited supply, mm -hmm. and you have new investors that are coming into the market daily. So you know, sellers have the advantage today. Yeah. What what do you say to sellers out there, or owners that are particularly trying to maybe time the top, absolute top of the market? You know, it's like it seems like this market just keeps getting better and better, and now it's starting to slow down. Uh, do you have some sellers that are really trying to time it to sell right at the peak? Yes, we do have some sellers yeah. that are looking to time it at the peak of the market. And mm -hmm. I'm afraid that some of them are going to miss their opportunity to sell. Mm -hmm. They're kind of timing it like someone would time the stock market, mm -hmm. if you will. And I think they're going to look back in a few years and say, wow, I wish I would have sold in 2019. You know, they may look back and say, um, the economy was strong, interest rates were low, the market was really hot. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, you don't want to look back going, wow, 19, we had really low interest rates. So we had a fantastic market. And of course, you never know what's going to happen uh, in the economy. Sometimes something catastrophic can happen. Well, what about the activity you get on assignments today when you're taking something to market? Are you getting the, the same type of activity that you got a year or two years ago? What's it like? Well, you know, Michael, we, we sell uh, core value-add and distressed properties throughout the southeast and you know every product type that I take to market is getting multiple competing buyers of course the underwriting is, is real tight but uh, the market is still very very frothy as a matter of fact I had a call last week uh, from a potential seller who were discussing you know the sale of his property he says Scott you know I'm worried and I said so you know what's troubling you mm -hmm. and he says you know I'm worried I'm going to look back in two years and go, what the heck was I thinking? Um, you can get 10-year money fixed for like 4.8% right now. He said the economy's strong. You know, we're seeing signs that this is the top of the market. And I don't want to look back and say, why didn't I take advantage of the opportunity that I had? And so uh, he's taking some chips off the table and selling 19. Yeah. Well, you can't. It can't be a bad time when you look at uh, the entire the entire market. And like you said, people are kind of exuberant about the economy, and people are positive, and uh, you know that could change. So, what is a tip, Scott, for for a seller if you're thinking about selling a property today, or you, there's some mistakes to avoid, or uh, some tips you could share? Well, if you look how interest rates have dropped here recently, mm -hmm. you know, this may be a window, if you will, mm -hmm. you know, just to take advantage of where we are in the marketplace. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, interest rates are low. And if we continue, the economy continues to roll along, you know, we may experience some inflation and the Fed may increase rates. I mean, they actually wanted to increase rates this year, but when we had the volatility in the stock market and we had the government shutdown, the timing just didn't seem right. Mm -hmm. So it may not take too much for them to change their way of thinking. So there just may be a window here to buy and sell in 2019. And that, that's just me. It might just be the broker in me <laughs> that's saying that, yeah. but I think all the signs are there. Yeah, yeah. Well, I agree with you and uh, well, great information. What would you leave our audience with with a tip related to multifamily today? I would say whether you're buying or selling, it's a great time to be in the market. 
Excellent, Scott. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. And thank you for joining us around the country or around the world. We appreciate uh, your views and you sharing the show and reaching out to us. All our social media accounts can be found at our show website, which is commercialrealestateshow.com. Till next week, be sure that you always lead, learn, and laugh and join us for America's Commercial Real Estate Show. America's Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you by Bull Realty. For customized asset and occupancy solutions, visit bullrealty.com. Commercial Agent Success Strategies, incredible training for commercial agents. Visit commercialagentsuccess.com. Bomi International. For facilities and property management education, visit bomi.org. Buyproxy.com. Your global commercial real estate listing service. Visit buyproxy.com. Red IQ, turning multifamily data into actionable intelligence. Visit rediq.com.